You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We got our eye on the enemy, and it remains on the Dallas Cowboys here at BGN. This is the third installment of our Cowboys series to wrap this puppy up. And of course, it is brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Make sure you're following at BGN underscore radio as well to keep up to date when these shows are dropping into your feed. And they will be fast and furious as always. The dead season is a myth. And it's always content season here at BGN, and we have you covered from every angle. And part of that coverage is our Eye on the Enemy series. As I mentioned, this is our third crack at the Cowboys. Part one was an Eye on the Enemy extra with the great Jeff Cavanaugh from 105.3 The Fan. The next was Kissed and Solak, episode 101. And now we have another special guest for you from Blogging the Boys, my dude RJ Ochoa. And look, I know he's a Cowboys guy, but I really do enjoy his work as he keeps me informed with what's going on with arguably the Eagles' biggest rival. And I would recommend the Blogging the Boys podcast feed as well to keep you up to date with everything going on with the Cowboys. So the reason that we're talking today is because the talk with Jeff Cavanaugh was mainly focused on the looming Dak Prescott contract extension, and we had some additional questions remaining after me and Solak previewed the Cowboys' outlook. So if you're looking to learn more about what we think is the only contender to the Eagles in the NFC East, you have come to the right spot. So I won't delay any longer. Let's kick it over to my chat with RJ Ochoa right now. RJ, brother, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's always a pleasure to uh, to hang out with a fellow uh, Red Dead enthusiast. <laughs> I've been playing so much Red Dead lately, man. It's crazy. Right. How many run-throughs have you done? I'm still on the first. I'm really slow when it comes to this kind of stuff just because, yeah. I mean, you know the drill. Like It, it takes time and stuff, but it's um, it's a magical experience. Yeah, I'm going through my second time. The first time I was a good guy. The second time I'm just being terrible to everyone so I can get some different endings, but I absolutely love it. Man, some nights I just fish for like hours. Other nights I just hunt for hours. Like It's a good you know, way to decompress at the end of the night after a long day of grinding. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's therapeutic. I mean, it's and you know, like if you get nagged, you know, it's like, well, I could either fish here or I could go out to the lake. You know, what <laughs> yeah. would you rather me do? Or go out to the bar like I'm here at home doing my thing. It's fine. It's fine. Exactly. So before we get started, RJ, would you let the gentle listeners know where they can find you and all of your excellent work? Uh, I know that they are very gentle. Uh, you can find me at <laughs> bloggingtheboys.com. Uh, that's where all of our Cowboys work lives and operates on a daily basis. Of course, we have the Blog on the Boys podcast feed, uh, similar to our, our brothers here. Uh, you can subscribe on all major podcast platforms. I'm sure you know the drill there. You can follow me on Twitter at RG Ochoa. I keep it simple. And uh, I think I'm on Instagram at the same thing, just because um, I'm, I'm that creative. And you can also follow Blog on the Boys on Twitter 
at blog on the boys. Again, we don't mess with underscores or abbreviations or anything. Uh, we're matter of fact. So RJ, I, I want to start this with a question that perplexed both me and Benjamin Solak as we did the eye on the enemy Dallas Cowboys edition. And hopefully you can answer this more definitively than we could from the outside looking in. But Scott Linehan, who according to Dallas fans is responsible for the Black Death, Spanish Death, the plague of Justinian, like all of that, uh, was the offensive coordinator for four years. So four years of Linehan, this was going on. Now, imagine we're a fly on the wall in those offensive meetings between Linehan and Garrett. And Garrett looks over at Linehan and says, you know, Scott, we really got to make sure we're playing to the strengths of our quarterback. We have to protect them. I want to incorporate more play action for men or center to work off of our run looks. I want to give more more time for Dak to throw. I want to change the launch points and roll pockets. I want bootlegs that get him on the move, some read options, and I want to put him in a position to scramble if nobody is open. So Scott, listen to me, bud. Dak's best asset when things aren't going well are his legs. Let's cater to that. Hell, let's get real crazy. Let's include some pre-snap motions to provide Dak with coverage indicators and force defenses into coverage checks we're more comfortable attacking, right? And Scott looks back blankly at Jason. He takes a drag from his cigarette. I don't even know if he's a smoker. Just go with it. And he just simply responds, no. Like, that's not how it would go down, right, RJ? So before we get into, like, Kellen Moore, who I'll admit I'm, I'm is absolutely saying all the right things in terms of how the ops offense should function, what role did Garrett have in this offense as a former quarterback and offensive coordinator himself? And this is crucial. He is the head coach. People forget that. How much of the blame falls on his shoulders and how much do we trust that the second in command on this offensive side of the ball even matters? Well, it's interesting. Um, I think it's important, first of all, to kind of look back to where Scott Linehan truly rose within the Cowboys. Uh, that was during the 2014 season, um, the infamous Mark Sanchez year for the Philadelphia Eagles. And, um, you know, <laughs> you, you, you you akin back to that. That was the Bill Callahan-led offense for the Cowboys. Yeah. He was the offensive coordinator in name. Uh, he was credited with, uh, you know, kind of really building the foundation of their offensive line. That was, of course, Zach Martin's rookie year uh but scott linehan was the passing game coordinator was what they, they referred to him as and um you know he really caught the eye of everybody because in that season the cowboys offense really kind of turned a corner although that was sort of the birth of their their sort of run dominance across the league and, and yeah tony romo was operating at a high level but i think we've all realized and accepted five years later that 2014 tony romo was just you know every quarterback has one of those years not not that romo uh, you know it's an albatross by any means but that was clearly him at his peak. He was in the eye of the storm. He was in Nirvana. And so I think that Scott Linehan somewhat benefited from that, uh, from Tony Romo just kind of being at the height of his powers. And, you know, I don't know that he he necessarily utilized Tony Romo to his strengths. I mean, Romo has, has said on many occasions that, you know, he changed things at the line of scrimmage. He was, uh, you know, always, you know, bleeding the play clock down to its final moment in order to do whatever he could. And then you you kind of look at Scott Linehan beyond that. The 2015 season for the Cowboys was disgusting, you know, and a lot of that was due to Romo's injury. And people mm. questioned the competence level of the coaching staff. How can you not make this work with, and granted, it was, you know, Matt Castle and Brandon Whedon and Kellen Moore. But, you know, still, you, you can at least look functional, but they couldn't. And that should have fallen on Scott Linehan's shoulders. Um, and then you fast forward one more year, and all of a sudden you're in the Dak Prescott era. And I think that that was just this surge of new that, that really changed things. And so I don't know that it was necessarily a Scott Linehan game plan that was Dak Prescott's strengths as much as it was just kind of uncovering things. And then 
obviously the 2017 season was horrific for the Cowboys in many ways, especially offensively. I don't know that people realize uh, there was a stretch, and, and one of the games was that game against Philadelphia where the Cowboys scored single digits in three straight games. That, that had never happened before in franchise history. And somehow Scott Linehan was retained. And, you know, Scott Linehan and Jason Garrett go way back to Miami. And I think to to understand how Jason Garrett would view this, you have to understand that Garrett is a really emotional guy. I mean, he has his relationships that he's built up. He's very vocal about how he learned at the foot of Nick Saban while on the staff with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, and Scott Linehan was a part of that. And so I think that Garrett got emotional. And, and if you look at it, every time Garrett's kind of been on the ropes as a head coach, there's always been this sort of thing to save him, whether it was that 2014 season or whether it was Scott Linehan's incompetence. He always has that buffer between him and death. Uh, It's like, you know, when you would play like Mario and you would, you know, you would like run into the bad guy, but right as you jumped, you caught an extra (laughs) life. So that was the life you burned. That's kind (laughs) of how Garrett is. And so I, I do believe that Jason Garrett willingly, as ridiculous as this sounds, allowed Scott Linehan to be incompetent with the offense. And, I mean, you have the fortune of covering a team that's really creative offensively, and the Cowboys have refused yeah. to adapt to that, at least until now. But I will say as a as a sign of change to kind of understand, you know, I think it's a, a fascinating picture of Scott Linehan taking a drag. Entering that Week 17 game in New York for the Cowboys, where Dak Prescott had a statistical performance we had never seen before, there was a lot of chirping that that game plan was put together more by Jason Garrett himself, Kellen Moore, who obviously has a huge role Mm -hmm. in the offense now, and Doug Nussmeyer, the Cowboys tight ends coach, who was Amari Cooper's offensive coordinator at Alabama. We we did see more rollouts. We did see Dak uh, getting out of the pocket. That game-winning touchdown he threw to Cole Beasley was on the run. I mean, and those are the tools, as you said, that he uses to his greatest strength when he needs to. So that's interesting. So let's let's talk about that moving forward. Moore has talked a lot about the things that you just talked about and I mentioned in the last question in terms of getting Dak on the move and also providing him with pre-snap coverage indicators, whether it be by formation, shift, or motions. What do you think we can expect from this offense from a scheme perspective that might be the same or different from last year based on what you're seeing? Do you think it'll be a noticeably positive change for Dak that will also be reflected in his performance on the field over the life of the season? Well, I think the biggest change in terms of, you know, to the naked eye, I think they'll use motion more. I think they'll get guys in space. I think, you know, I'm I'm not trying to say this was a a really powerful thing, but they've had guys like Tavon Austin and Lucky Whitehead and Lance Dunbar, who they envision as these, you know, Tyreek Hill-ish players, you know, these guys that can do a number of things, yet they don't utilize them in that way. They, they have these, you know, these jack-of-all-trade guys, if you will, um, that they just kind of fit into one box. And if you look at the, the the makeup of their current roster, they brought in Randall Cobb, who we know can be utilized out of the backfield. They still employ Tavon Austin for now, at least. Uh, they drafted Tony Pollard out of Memphis, who's a guy who certainly can uh, be creative in those aspects. So I think that that is maybe where the the most visible difference will be. I think we'll see Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard on the field at the same time. That was an idea that was beyond comprehension before. You know, Cowboys have operated in very standard, very base personnel, um, you know, football like it was in the 90s, and, and they have believed in that. And so I think we'll see them adapt to, you know, the modern day game, which is a, a bit refreshing. And it feels like they're doing that still very late in the game. But, you know, you take what you can. 
And I do think that we'll see, you know, they've been so insistent, you know, and they did this a lot with the aforementioned Lucky Whitehead. They, they love their jet sweeps. I mean, they, they yeah. you know, it's so predictable uh, when they do that. But I think that we'll see more reverses. I think, you know, we'll see different, you know, I think we'll see maybe some wildcat options. I think that we're just going to see some differences. I, I think it will be visible, but I think the true difference will obviously be in terms of the way Dak understands and sort of interprets the game. But I do think that Dak's performance and Dak's successes will reflect on on what Kellen Moore has done. Yeah, that's a good point because, you know, you can do one thing and be good at one thing. But if you keep doing it with the same window dressing, if you don't change that window dressing, it's very predictable. So you can continue to do those successful things and just kind of change the window dressing on it. Doug Peterson has talked about that a lot. We talked about it on the Kiss and Solak show when we were previewing this Cowboys team. And RJ, when I spoke with Jeff Cavanaugh as part of this series uh, from 105.3 The Fan, he said that we could probably expect a DAC extension by around training camp. There's also the matter of Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott and their contracts. Now, considering Dak is almost definitely going to get paid somewhere between 30 to 34 million per year, we can, you know, split hairs about the numbers if we want. But considering what Cooper and Elliott are asking for, do you think it's wise to pay Coop and Zeke top tier money for their position along with what's going on with Dak? Or do you think they may go in a different direction with one of them in the long term? I think it's a really fascinating situation, obviously. Um, and, and I think that Amari Cooper is without question the priority. First of all, given the you know time frames involved, his deal expires sooner, et cetera. But, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, they made the decision to pay Amari Cooper when they traded for him. Right. You know, they weren't going to trade for him and, and not, you know, extend him. Uh, and then he did what he did. And, you know, that justifies it. Um, so I think that Amari is certainly more important, namely because he makes Stack Prescott a better player. Yeah. And that's the guy who you're going to pay the most money to. Uh, so I think that prioritizing Amari is certainly what the Cowboys should and, and I believe are doing. Zeke is, is a very interesting case because you can make an argument. You know, I, I think we're seeing running backs get paid more across the NFL. And although obviously there's a bit of uh, some caution given what happened to Todd Gurley over the course of the last year. Yeah. So you look at Zeke and is he this fantastic premier running back? Of course. But does he play a position that isn't necessarily as valued in today's game? Yes. Right. Does he have uh, an off the field uh, resume that troubles you? Absolutely. Uh, are you approaching uh, an upcoming CBA where maybe the financial ramifications of the NFL landscape could be different? Yes. And I think that that could be something that maybe plays a role in this and in a role. I know that that held up or, or at least clouded Carson Wentz's contract negotiations, just mm-hmm. given the detail of it all. I think that that might allow the Cowboys to kind of handle Zeke Gellett the way they want to. But I think Zeke is is truly the most unique possible case that you could come up with, given his off the field circumstances. I mean, even today, we're we're still wondering whether anything's going to come of the Las Vegas incident. You know, yeah. the shoving, if you want to call it that. So if if you have to hold your breath with this guy, I mean, it is it does kind of make you pause when it comes to paying him. So Amari Cooper for me is priorities one through five and Zeke is six. I mean, just given who he is, his position, his influence on the game, his influence on the quarterback and, um, you know, his potential off of the field. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to, I want to let you make the decision. I'm going to put you in in, in the chair here because I, when I spoke with, with Kavanaugh, I also asked him like $15 million is probably what Zeke's going to be looking at per year around there. That's like top, you know, three running back money over the next few years. So if Mm -hmm. Dak is the guy that is going to get paid like he's the one carrying this offense, can you afford to pay a running back that kind of money that kind of suggests that he's the one 
carrying the offense. Do you pull the trigger if you've signed both Cooper to very good money and Dak to very good quarterback money? Do you, RJ, personally sign Zeke to $15 million a year for, let's say, four years? I'll use a slight cop out and say that it would depend on when I'm making this decision because I don't think the Cowboys are extending Zeke Elliott before this season's over. Okay. I think his his extension, if it does fall, will fall after Super Bowl 54 when the Cowboys win in Miami, obviously. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, if, if you look at this pragmatically, you control, for lack of a better word, Zeke Elliott with the Cowboys through 20, you know, 20. Right. You could even go 2021. You could go a long ways out with franchise tags. If it were me, I would ride Zeke Elliott's contract and his fifth year option. And I would, you know, depending on the status of things, I would consider a Le'Veon Bell franchise tag. Would that be annoying? Would that make for uh, a lot of fun on blogontheboys.com? Absolutely. (laughs) But I think that's the most responsible way to handle this. And I think that's a truth in general when it comes to elite running backs. But given who Zeke is off of the field, it, it does it does scare you. I mean, and and so I I don't think I would I would do that. Is is you know you, you want to say it because it would be fun to keep Zeke around. I think Cowboys fans want to envision that he's this you know he's the next all time leading rusher and everything. But it just doesn't make as much sense as other things do. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with you there. And RJ, you know this Eye on the Enemy series, we try to keep it focused on this year. So let's dial in on this year with Zeke and what he can bring for this team. But I also want to make a quick comparison here. RG, I recently started a series where I build the dream team using just players from the NFC East. And on the offensive side of the ball, that's our, that piece is already out. So for the Cowboys, I have Amari Cooper as a Z receiver. I have Tyron Smith as a left tackle, Zach Martin at right guard. The only real kickback I received from any of the positions that I did across the board, and this was mainly just from Cowboys fans, was putting Saquon Barkley over Ezekiel Elliott. Now, I recognize there are two very different types of running backs, but in a vacuum and disregarding any salary cap implications, who do you think is the better running back I think that Zeke Elliott is the better running back but I I would agree with your choice because I think that Saquon is the more magical running back Mm. I know that's a a weird way to phrase it but I I do trust that Saquon can do anything or where I realize that Zeke can do everything there is a difference between everything and anything yeah and Saquon can do anything and I know you know we may had a lot of fun with Maurice Jones Drew's running back rankings and he left Zeke Elliott out of the top three he had Saquon at number one and when everybody was just trashing him all over BTB there was a consensus that like, yeah, you know, if you want to say Saquon's better than Zeke, I mean, you know, if I'm in the right mood, I'll argue against that, but I can totally understand that. Yeah, you're kind of splitting hairs there. Okay. When we come back, we're talking with RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about the defensive side of the ball as we continue in our third installment of the Eye on the Enemy series. We're talking Dallas Cowboys. That's up next right here on BGN. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. 
and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And we are back here at Bleeding Green Nation talking with RJ Ochoa of Blocking the Boys. We're talking eye on the enemy. My boy, RJ, let's flip it to the defensive side of the ball, because one of the major questions that Benjamin Solak brought up was the lack of a pass rush outside of the excellent, excellent Demarcus Lawrence. Now, there was the trade for Robert Quinn, and there's Taco Charlton headed into, I believe, is what is his, his third <laughs> year, uh, but we didn't see much there. We didn't mention Randy Gregory because his status is up in the air. Now, Gregory, if I remember correctly, was solid in their nickel pass rush sets as a specialist. If there is an additional rusher that can provide some juice, it might have to be him. But currently, his status is up in the air. What do we know about Randy Gregory and his playing status as of today? Well, I will say that for being a suspended player, there is probably more optimism surrounding Randy Gregory than there is an average suspended player, just given, you know, he's in a unique spot, I think, where the NFL, I think in many people's eyes, the NFL wants to be a little bit more lenient when it comes to the subject of marijuana. And obviously that's what's plagued Randy. And he is kind of the poster boy for that. And I think everybody roots for that. You know, if Josh Gordon comes back and has success, that that better is the NFL. And the same is obviously true for Randy Gregory. There is, I think, at the very least, I would I would qualify it as maybe a 30% chance that he plays um, substantial time for the Cowboys this season. But he is a phenomenal pass rusher. You mentioned it. He obviously had some successes last season was, you know, his year certainly where he accomplished the most. I think a lot of people forget he he was the one who caused that fumble on Jameis Winston that Jalen Smith took back to the ha- uh, to the house in the game that the Cowboys won the division. Um, so he's got an ability off the edge. And you mentioned it. I think, you know, the Cowboys traded for Robert Quinn as, as a bit of insurance. And that's some really nice insurance that you want to have, certainly. But it is difficult when you look past that because you're right. I mean, you have question marks in Randy Gregory. Taco Charlton is a question mark at the absolute best. Um, <laughs> not to mention he's coming off of, you know, certain this offseason I mean he, he just he, the reality is he's so small and you know thin it's it, he, he, he yeah. looks nothing like the other defensive ends on this team but I, I would offer you know if it's not going to be Randy Gregory and this is really crossing your fingers the Cowboys did draft Dorrance Armstrong out of football powerhouse Kansas last mm-hmm. year and he really yeah. had a phenomenal training camp for them uh, and I think that's the guy. I mean, I, I would honestly pin more hopes on him at this point than Randy Gregory, just given, you know, the status of, of their you know respective careers. Yeah. And I liked Armstrong's tape. So I think that's that's a good take. So another area of the defense that we talked about was the young secondary, which outside of Jeff Heath, who's bad and the safety depth <laughs> around him, we, we felt it looked pretty doggone good. And that Chris Richard has done a great job coaching up all the new faces after having a ton of snaps to replace just a couple of years ago. If you were to point out a strength of this team and, and you can include the linebackers in this as well, because they play a big role in this area, would you say the strength is their ability in pass coverage and just a pre preemptive follow-up on that they were eighth and forced in completions last year but only had nine interceptions on the year do you expect the interceptions to see an uptick this year as well as the unit continues to gel even more so I think I do and I think a lot of that is I think we all generally expect the pass rush to be better and I know they had you know they really kind of came on had a you know renaissance of sorts and they were the hot boys and everything but adding Robert Quinn adding Tristan Hill um, you know I think have you believing that the pass rush overall is going to be better if I had to sort of pick a particular strength of the defense it's without question the linebacker 
linebacking core. I think the mm-hmm. linebacking core for the Cowboys is challenging the offensive line for being the best overall unit on the team. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just given the, who Leighton Vanderish and Jalen Smith are. I mean, you're at a point where Sean Lee can't get on the field. I think they're the best linebacking core in the NFL, like hands down. Like, I, I can't put anybody against that kind of depth when you have three guys that are plus plus starters. I know our friend John Owning wrote about that for the Dallas Morning News. And, yep. you know, he made a case uh, for some other, you know, tandems and some other groups. But you're right. I mean, it's it's hard to argue against them, uh, which is really nice. I mean, the Cowboys toyed around with Sean Lee and Rolando McClain for so long. The fact that they finally landed on something with Leighton and, and Jalen is is really cool. But I would say that most people, I think, would qualify the secondary to address, you know, pass coverage as the worst unit on the defense, just because the other two are so prominent. But, I mean, they've got Byron Jones, and I think a lot of people believe he'll continue to be great during his second full season at cornerback. Outside of that, you mentioned Jeff Heath is bad, which I take personally, but who who is who is even trustworthy uh, you know in their secondary you've got Chidabe Wuze who's entering his third season who's just an average cornerback and I think Cowboys fans get really upset at that but what has Chido done in the NFL to make you believe he is solid you know Xavier Woods is expected to take a, a leap as the team starting free safety and and that would be great but I mean it's still an expectation it's not necessarily something that's happened I mean they have they have two average spots outside of Byron Jones and Jeff Heath uh, unless you want to call Jeff Heath George Iloka. I mean, either way, that secondary overall is is questionable. I mean, the, the Cowboys tend to, you know, relax and rely on one thing, whether it, it was Tony Romo at the line of scrimmage or, or now it's Chris Richard making it work. You know, for so long, they, they made Rod Marinelli make hay with Jason Hatchers and Henry Melton's, and they're doing the same thing with Chris Richard. It's a little questionable. Yeah, and looking at it, like one of one of the things that gives me hope for this Cowboys secondary, and I don't want to say hope, that's a weird word for an Eagles fans, but one of the reasons I can see them being better this year is because of a lot of the young guys, and, and I speak this as an Eagles fan, because you look at the Eagles secondary and they have like it feels like they have 14 corners that are under, you know, 26 and under. So uh, I could definitely see a step up with the quality of coaching that they have in Richard to coach up Cheeto to be that solid player that you're asking him to be. Because I agree, he's been he's been decent. And I think he can take a step forward. I think Xavier Woods is primed for a step forward, but we haven't seen it yet. So there's a lot of projection going into that unit. But I do think overall that they're solid outside of Jeff Heath, as we mentioned. But <laughs> let's get to the, uh, the the simple question here. So the over under I saw from a betting site, no free ads, was nine wins for the Cowboys. Simple question, RJ. Over or under? You know, in in simplistic forms, I'd go over. But I mean, if I was setting an over under, it would be nine and a half. So I mean, yes. I am just over. Believe me, you know, when when we're done talking and we're back on Twitter, I mean, the Eagles were terrible and everything, and it was you know, it's it's a lot of fun. But in, in reality, I mean, we're talking about a team that won ten games last season, right? You know, and no Cowboys fan will tell you this, but they really kind of lucked their way into that. I mean, they beat mm-hmm. Atlanta and Detroit on last second field goals, yep. and the second Eagles win was thanks to a tip ball that ended up in Amari Cooper's hands so you're talking that's a three game swing right there if you know acts of god go a different way and you also didn't you play washington towards the back end of the year where they were already banged up and not at their full strength is that is that correct we did uh the cowboys hosted them on thanksgiving and it was 
Colt McCoy, to your point. And that, yeah. that game was close for a while before Amari broke it open. That was kind of the beginning of Amari just going stupid off. But you're right. And then, you know, they lost to the Colts late, in, and they kind of, at that point, had had punted that game a bit because that second Eagles win was so emotional and went yeah. to overtime. And they knew they had three shots to, to clinch the division, so they did it the next week at home against Tampa. But they, they really shocked the world, I'll, I'll be honest. You know, they had a five-game stretch last season where it was at Philadelphia, Atlanta, um, New Orleans, and then Philadelphia again, and then Washington on Thanksgiving. That looked like a gauntlet, and and they won all five of those games. But again, you know, you barely beat Atlanta, you barely beat Detroit, you barely beat Philly the second time. You're playing some tough teams this season. You know, I, I think nine nine and a half is is uh, flirting with danger. Yeah, and football perspective, and I quoted this stat on the Kiss and Solak show, but football perspective, with the amount of close games that the Cowboys had and the record that they had in those close games, you look at that from year to year throughout history in the NFL, that type of success is just not sustainable. And they put them over three wins over expectation based on the close games that they had. And I brought the example of the Carolina Panthers. They went to the Super Bowl after going like six and two and seven and one in, in close games. Next year, they go two and six in close games. They go six and 10 overall and miss out on the playoffs. So there's always a chance for that. But overall, would you say, I need, a, I need, I need the quote from you, RJ. <laughs> you know what I'm going to ask. Who wins the NFC East? Gun to your head. Who wins the NFC East this year? Cowboys, because they're the reigning division champs. They've won it three of the last five years. And I, I will say, and this is not a meant as a slight, I mean, I am curious to see Carson Wentz play a full season. I, I mean, can sure. he? If, if he can, I mean, obviously that makes things all the more spicy and interesting. Uh, but outside of, of that, because if Carson Wentz, in, I know that no Eagles fan wants to hear this, but if he is is injured at all this season, then it's the Cowboys division to lose but you know, far and away because oh, I sure. think we both agree the Giants and Redskins aren't challenging either team. So that that is just as important to the success of the Cowboys as, you know, whether Cheeto Awuze can make the leap to being a, a legitimate corner opposite of Byron Jones in the secondary. Yeah, I think it's close enough to where if Wentz is healthy, I think the Eagles take it. If Wentz is not healthy, and like you said, that's a reasonable thing to say, not talking crap, it's happened the last two years. If Wentz is not healthy, then I think the Cowboys take it. Because I, I took the over on the Cowboys. I think Ben did as well. Uh, we have them as a 10-win team, and then you can kind of swing any which way you want, depending on what happens throughout the season. Because it's there's you know the constant ebb and flow. Guys get injured. Things happen and whatnot. But I think this is a talented team. I, I don't agree with Gil Brandt as far as them being the second you know uh, most talented team in the NFL, but I also didn't agree that the Eagles were the most talented. So, uh, But I still think they're they're stocked and uh with kellen moore things should be looking up just at least by the addition by subtraction if garrett lets him do what he wants to do but rj uh any last thoughts and would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners by uh plugging where uh where you work and where they can find all your stuff uh my last thought is i am not as optimistic as most on kellen moore i mean i am on twitter and, and you know i get I, I fall for it every now and then but i think i would advise caution we're talking about a dude who three years ago was a backing up Dak. Can we, yeah, can we talk about 104 career attempts and one year as a offensive uh, as a QB coach? Like that concerns me and also like is Garrett is Garrett listening to him? Is it going to be like a full shift? Like I have concerns too, RJ. Oh, yeah, I mean like you know, two of the three quarterbacks on the Cowboys roster beat out Kellen, you know, to, to be <laughs> on the roster. That's kind of unnerving. And the third Kellen hand chose last year during the draft in Mike White. Um, you know, as his first sort of quarterback pick. It is, look, if if Kellen Moore is this, you know, brilliant, you know, 
novice or just young mind that's waiting in the wings, then great. But yeah. I feel like we've pl- placed a lot of optimism on his, you know, not so sturdy shoulders. But I, I hope that he certainly lives up to it. But uh, you can find takes like that, of course, <laughs> at blogontheboys.com and on Twitter at RG Ochoa. Uh, and of course, on BGN Radio when I'm hanging out with my boy Kiss. RJ Ochoa might not be the next Sean McVay, neither may Kellen Moore, but RJ is a, a darn good writer that you should follow for blogging the boys. Make sure you're following his work. Thank you for stopping by, RJ. It was a blast as always. Anytime. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.